You're listening to Jesus is Everything, the teaching ministry of The Way, Eugene. So, with that, we jump into 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I want to direct your attention to verse 6. That's where we're going to pick up tonight, and we're going to make our way through here. So, Paul has just stated to the Corinthians, he's been talking to them about how they're just infants spiritually. He can't speak to them as spiritual people. He has to speak to them as little kids in the faith. They're still stuck on the milk, the simple truths that they haven't been able to go deeper into those truths and really get deep into the things of God. Paul can't teach them those things because they're still in the flesh. They're still creating these schisms and these divisions in the church where they're following after people. And they're not paying attention to what it is that God is using those people to do. And so in verse 5, he said, What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. Awesome. Now he says in verse 6, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, and God's building. And so we see a couple things here to sort of cap off this part of 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We see this truth here that Paul has laid out and that we talked about on Sunday that he even mentioned in Ephesians chapter 4, that there are different roles in the church. There are different jobs, there are different roles, there are different giftings. But I want to say this. There are not different values. Man, everybody's work in the kingdom of God is of the same value. So whether you're a person who's up in front teaching a Bible study or leading out in worship and praise, or if you're hanging out with little kids or wiping little babies' snotty noses, or if you're just the person who comes in faithfully week out, week in, week out, sits down and takes notes, if you're just faithful in giving to the Lord and the offering, all those things, man, it's equal value. No one person in the kingdom of God is better than another based on the role that they have. And so this is sort of, sort of what Paul's doing. He's pushing against this idea of this guy's more important than that guy. And like we said again on Sunday, you can go back and listen to it, but just like John the Baptist said, right? He said, Jesus must increase and I must decrease. And the thought there is that, man, we're never going to receive more of Jesus than when we're making the most of Jesus. When we personally in our lives are placing Jesus at the top of everything we do. Jesus is first. Jesus is the most important. His opinion matters more than anyone else's opinion. My effort in life, in whatever context I find myself in, is to follow closely behind Jesus. If that's what we're doing, we are going to experience a closeness and a fellowship with Jesus that we don't get anywhere else. Now, Paul talks about this idea of being God's field or God's uh, uh, building in verse 9, right? And, and I want to touch on that and help us to remember and to understand this idea of growth, that we're growing in knowledge, growing in fellowship with the Lord, growing in the depth of the things that we can understand that God is doing in our life and the ministry that Jesus has called us to. 
And I want to stop and focus on this for just a moment because it sort of brings us back full circle to the purpose for which Paul is writing to the Corinthians. Growth comes from falling down and getting back up in the grace of God. The Corinthians started out strong. Paul was teaching them the, the, the gospel. We'll read about it in just a second. This foundation that he laid, which is Jesus Christ. And then he was there with them for a while, discipling them, helping them grow. And then he left. And now he's got these reports of them just, just sort of giving in to bad teaching or giving in to hu their humanity, right? And, and the fleshliness, not being spiritual. So he has to come and he has to speak strongly to them and he has to correct them. That's how we grow in our faith, like in anything else. We make our best attempts with what we know. We fail miserably. Someone comes along and then helps to correct us so that we can grow. And we have the opportunity to take the teaching, take the wisdom, take the advice and the direction given to us and learn and grow from it quickly or keep circling back around and making mistakes again and again and again. You know, if that's not how we were supposed to, we are supposed to grow or how Paul's, Paul expected the church at Corinth to grow is through failing and then being corrected and growing, improving, he never would have written the letter. He never would have written to them to correct them unless that's how we're supposed to learn from our mistakes. Now, that's not to say that we should seek out sin and that we should be looking for opportunities to make mistakes, that, that uh, somehow we're building a testimony by look at how hard my life has been. That's not what we're seeking out. We're seeking to cut away the flesh as much as possible so that we're pursuing spiritual things. But the truth is, as Paul even himself admits in Romans, Oh, wretched man that I am, I do the things I don't want to do, and I don't do the things I do want to do. We learn by making mistakes, but getting up in the grace of God. There's scriptural reference for this. Proverbs chapter 24, verses 15 and 16. Listen to this. Proverbs 24, 15 and 16. Lie not in wait as a wicked man against the dwelling of the righteous. Do no violence to his home. For... The righteous falls seven times and rises again, but the wicked stumble in times of calamity. You know, the Bible talks a lot about how there's people who are of the world, not of the Lord, and how troubling it is and vexing it is that it seems like people who are dishonoring the Lord are successful in the world's standards. It seems as though they have everything that they need, that even God appears to be blessing them while they're cursing him, but here's what the, what, the, what the wisdom of the Proverbs says here, is that the righteous falls seven times, but they rise again. The righteous, those who are doing what's right in the sight of the Lord, they know they just keep pursuing after the Lord. But those who are wicked, who don't have a heart for the Lord, who haven't had their heart changed to desire to pursue the Lord, in times of calamity, times of trouble, they stumble because they don't have a foundation. The same truth is echoed not just in the Proverbs, but in Jesus's own teaching. In Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 and 22, Matthew 18, here's what Jesus says. <clears throat> then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. The idea being, Jesus says, as your brother fails, even sins against you, causes pain in your life, 
there's disunity and division between you, even as brothers. But when they come and ask for forgiveness, we are to continually forgive again and again and again. Now that's a tough one. We could, we could take off from that and really start getting into some of the psychology of sin and forgiveness and what that looks like. But the root of all of this is this understanding that we have been forgiven of our sin. When we believe upon Jesus for salvation, God has erased the debt of our life. The sin that is on our account that separates us, the Bible says, from God. Because of Jesus' death and his resurrection, our sin is erased. And we get to have this sweet fellowship where we know that when we do fail and sin, we simply come back into fellowship. We repent. We confess. We say, I need your grace even more now. And that's why God does say his mercy is new every single morning. And so the same is true for how we interact with one another. Man, has someone hurt you? Have they said something that has just created division? Have they done something to you that has created disunity and division? We are called to be a people who forgive. Now, there's plenty more to say on that, but I don't want to dive down that rabbit hole right now. But we'll continue on in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 here. Again, God saying that we are his fellow workers. He's called us to partner with him in the mission of the gospel in verse 9. But we're also God's field. We're his building. God is simultaneously working with us, calling us to partner with him in the gospel ministry. But he's working on us at the same time, growing us with the seeds that have been planted in us. And then he's building us this architecture, this infrastructure of the body of Christ, right? And he's building us and he's growing us into a mature, unified, finished product, which is going to look like Jesus. Now, the last thing I'll say about these roles and, and the gifts that are in the church and the, the equality of them and, not the, and the fact that there's not one that has more value than another, but, but to understand that as God is working in us... We need to receive what he gives us. Some people are frustrated in, in Christian ministry because they want to be the one who is watering the seeds. Others are frustrated because they want to be the one planting the seed. And they're frustrated perhaps by what God has called them to do. Sometimes people want to be the mouth or the hands out front, active, when God has called them to be the knees and the ears. Maybe they're called to a more silent ministry or a, or a, or a ministry that, that is sort of in the background of all the activity of the church. You know, other people get frustrated because they feel like they want to try and make the increase happen. When the truth is, only God can do that. We have to keep that at the forefront of our minds. Salvation is of the Lord. We're faithful to what he's called us to do, whether it's plant, water, kneel and pray for people, sit and listen to teaching and grow in our own hearts and minds. The growth comes from the Lord. You know, one of the truths that I learned early on in my adult life from Matt Hamilton, actually, We've known each other for a long time and all along the way. We've been serving in different churches together and ministries. Man, I, he's a few years ahead of me there. And so I've learned a ton from him. And here's a couple of things that I learned from him in, in serving the Lord, specifically in the church. 
and recognizing what your gifting is and, and what you're being called to do in the ministry, but also in life. And, you know, I've, I've worked at a number of jobs that weren't in the church and some I didn't really like. But what I learned from Matt in those things is, is in that regard to that question of what is the Lord calling me to do in the ministry is simply this, just do what is in front of you to the glory of God. There's tons of guys that I know who are just like, man, I want to be a pastor. I want to be a pastor. I was there myself to go, I, I, I really feel called to the ministry. And those doors weren't open yet in my life. I see guys banging their head against a wall, you know, sending out applications all over the country, looking for church jobs, those kinds of things. And maybe that's not a bad thing. But oftentimes those guys are missing what's right in front of them. And it was something I had to be discipled and to go, hey, whatever's sitting right in front of me, that's what I'm being called to do as a minister of the gospel. So now as a, as a public school teacher and doing online classes with kids, my job is to do that job well and do that job, like, like it says in Colossians, as unto the Lord. It is a ministry for me to do whatever's right in front of me. So mom, dad, grandparents, aunts, uncles, workers, co-workers, bosses, employees, whoever you are, whatever it is that's in front of you, do that as unto the Lord. Now, specifically within the church, one of the other principles that I learned along the way from Matt was this. As far as the ministry within the church is concerned, the answer is always yes. Insofar as you are prioritizing Jesus over everything else in your life, while still fulfilling your responsibilities as a spouse, a husband, a parent, uh, a, an employee, a worker, all those things, as, as those things are all sort of molded together and melded together, as far as ministry in the church is concerned, the answer is always yes. And what that means is, is that we have to be cautious about our ambition in the church. Man, we can't be the person who's saying, I want to be the one up front talking, or I want to be the one doing the music thing, or, or I'm going to go to this church because I have an opportunity to do this thing that I want to do. Man, there's a lot of times we do things and we serve selflessly, humbly as much as we can within the church just because there's a need. Not everybody is, is called, of course, in the sense of having a desire to be a, a, a kid's worker in the back. And yet, if that's the need, we just say yes. We're, we're not everybody's called to go and, and, and uh, look for opportunities to be praying for people specifically in a prayer ministry. And yet, if that's the need, we say yes. The answer in regard to ministry in the Lord is always yes. So don't get too caught up in ambition, thoughts of, I want to do this great thing. Nothing wrong as far as the ambition of the gospel and wanting to proclaim the gospel and teach the Bible. But we simply do that as the Lord opens those doors for us and not beyond that at all. Each one of us is called to consider our own work, to do the thing that we are gifted to do, to participate in the partnership of the gospel under the authority of those that God has placed us under in the church. We're to do all those things to the glory of God. You know, God has this sovereign and divine manner in which he brings us face to face with what he wants us to be doing in a given season. And that might change from season to season. I've experienced that in my life. But God has his way of bringing us face to face with exactly what he wants to, us to be doing. We may not like what we're facing, 
but it's God who has brought us to that point. It's our responsibility to be faithful to him in those things. Well, we move on to verse 10. Verse 10 says, According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day, meaning the day of judgment, will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Paul begins to do something here that we see him often do in his letters and in his writings. He uses himself as an example. He refers back personally to what he has been called to do, and he uses this as a touch point for the people that he's talking to. Now, take note, this is not about arrogance or conceit at all. He's simply stating truth. Paul has this way, and God's used him in big ways, and so he just goes, listen, here's what God's done in my life. This is what has taken place. It's obvious. It's just the truth. I'm not bragging about it. In fact, at other times, he'd call himself a fool. When he said, I'm speaking like a fool as I'm reading you my resume. I'm not asking you to give me props for that stuff or to pump me up or give me kudos or anything like that. He's saying, this is just the truth of what has happened. And so when Paul says that he laid a foundation like a skilled master builder, listen, all you have to do is read 1 Corinthians chapter 15 or go back and read the book of Romans again to understand that there has never been anyone better at communicating the gospel than Paul the apostle, short of Jesus Christ. Paul is at the top of the list in terms of evangelists and Bible teachers. He's just the pinnacle of the human expression of those things. And the foundation that he laid is quite simply, remember what he, what he started his letter with in chapter 2, Jesus Christ and him crucified. This is the foundation, Paul says, that has to be laid, and there's no other foundation as far as the church is concerned. If you're going to be representing the church in whatever you're doing, There's no other foundation other than Jesus Christ. You can't lay a foundation of gospel ministry on social welfare or social helps. It's impossible. The foundation has to be Jesus. You can't found the church or base the church upon ideas of even love until you see that love expressed in Jesus Christ and his cross. Jesus is the foundation of everything that takes place within the church. Now, what Paul also does, though, is he exhibits a deep, deep humility here that is worth our time to stop and consider and for us to look at our own hearts and how we judge what's taking place in the church in the way that that Paul expresses this humility. He says, like a skilled master builder back in verse 10, I laid a foundation. That foundation is Jesus Christ. There's no other foundation. He says then in the second half of verse 10, and someone else is building upon that foundation. Someone else is building upon it, he says. See, 
Paul here is exhibiting a humility. He says, hey, I laid this foundation. I started this church. I brought the gospel to you. There's no other foundation that can be laid, but here's the truth. Here's the reality. Someone else is going to build upon that foundation, and that's okay. Now, Paul in Romans 15 says something that might sound like a contradiction to this, but it's not. There's two different ideas. In Romans 15, Paul says that he's done everything possible to share the gospel everywhere he's gone, but he's been cautious not to build upon the foundation of another's teaching. And, and that seems to say that it seem, it might sound rather to say, well, wait a minute, you know, Paul says here there's a foundation laid in 1 Corinthians 3 and someone else is going to build upon it. But in Romans 15, it sounds like he's saying you shouldn't build upon another person's uh, foundation, their teaching. The idea is this. In Romans 15, Paul is talking about an evangelistic spirit going to places where Jesus hasn't been proclaimed yet. The idea being is that there are plenty of places to go that need Bible teachers, plenty of places where people can go where they need churches, where the name of Jesus needs to be explained and glorified and magnified in those places. In Romans 15, Paul is speaking as an evangelist, as a missionary. In 1 Corinthians 3, Paul's speaking as a church planter. That when a church has been planted, there's a foundation that's being laid by the one who's been called to go out in that work of apostleship, to go out and establish the gospel in a place. The understanding that you can't then after thereafter hold on to everything and control everything. Paul says others are going to build upon this foundation. Now, the reassurance from Paul in regard to this is that he says whatever is built upon that foundation of Jesus Christ is going to be tested like tested by something like fire on the day of judgment and that which is good and right which has been established that is a part of that gospel ministry that is a part of the ministry and mission of Jesus Christ that stuff is going to survive and the one who built that which is good is going to be rewarded for that work that is something for us to aspire to that should be our motivation, is to know that at the end of time when we stand before the Lord, that we have spent our time in the church upon the foundation of Jesus Christ in our lives, building things that correspond to the foundation, that fit upon that foundation. It's like that diva we did out of Psalm 90. Man, Lord, teach us to number our days. What are we spending our time doing? Are we spending our time doing things, investing in things that are eternal? That's the question we need to be asking ourselves. Now, Paul says, by contrast, the person who built things that are non-eternal, worthless things, things that are self-centered, worldly in nature, man-focused, and they tried to build those things upon the foundation of Jesus Christ, he says when those things get test tested by fire on the day of judgment, they're all just going to be burned up and... The person who built those worthless, worldly, self-centered, non-gospel-oriented things, <coughs> non-eternal things, that person may still be saved. They may have been a Christian, just like he's talking to these Corinthians. Can't talk to you like spiritual people. You're in the faith. You're saints. You're saved. But you're not mature yet. In the same way, this person who built non-eternal, worthless things that are going to get burned up in the end, they may still be saved. But there's not going to be the reward that we hear about in the book of Revelations chapter chapter 4. 
these crowns that are given so that we might be able to worship the Lord even in eternity. And so there's a caution for us to, to, to consider what we're investing our life into. Is it eternal stuff? Is this Jesus stuff that's, that's all about eternity, about the kingdom? Or is it stuff that we're building on the foundation of Jesus that's there? There's no other foundation. But are we building stuff that just doesn't matter for eternity? It's stuff that's just going to get burned up. It's stuff that doesn't have eternal value. Now, that's a big question. It's a big question, especially for us in the West here, who are affluent in comparison to the church in other parts of the world. What are we judging our success by as a church? It's a big question. A lot of discussion can be had on that issue for another time. Now, Paul doesn't say this in a singular fashion. This isn't the only place where, where he makes this type of statement. Just like how Paul is calling for unity here in, the, in the, his letter to the Corinthians, he also calls for unity in other churches like at Ephesus very specifically. Paul, this isn't the only place where he, where he shows this humility of not needing to or wanting to hold on to and control every little bit of a ministry. In fact, if you look at uh, Philippians chapter 1, Philippians chapter 1 beginning in verse 12, it says this, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Paul wrote the letter to the Philippian church from prison. Verse 14 says, And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. He's just providing an example. That whether he's free or he's in prison, he's just going to preach the gospel. And those that have seen him with that example, they've been emboldened. There's no fear in them. They're preaching the gospel boldly. And then in verse 15, he says this. First, or, uh, Philippians chapter 1, verse 15. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of, mark this, Selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, Paul says, I rejoice. This is huge. This is a big deal to stop and consider for a couple of reasons. Number one, Paul wasn't possessive of his ministry. As long as Jesus was being proclaimed, as long as Jesus was the foundation of the ministry, it doesn't seem as though Paul was trying to control and nitpick every little aspect of that ministry. He most certainly wasn't trying to grab glory or fame or notoriety or control. In fact, as you read through the New Testament letters of Paul, you see that Paul is happy to share his ministry. In fact, it's what he was uh, gifted in doing as an apostle to go out and start works and disciple others to continue in those works of ministry. So whether it was Apollos or Peter or Timothy or Titus or Silas, Paul seems happy to share his ministry, to commission guys and go, now that you take what I've taught you 
he told Silas, or Timothy rather, and, and, and he says, you teach it to other faithful men. He tells Silas in Crete, he says, the things you've learned from me, teach here. Set everything in order. Do things the way that I taught you how to do them. Paul was all about training guys and kicking them out and getting the gospel out to the far reaches, not trying to collect all the talent in one place and say, here, we've got the best group here at this one church. That's not what he was doing. He was sharing ministry, all the while maintaining his own rigorous schedule and his own intense passion to do what he was called to do. See, the truth is, is there aren't nearly enough churches in the world. Or more specifically, there aren't enough people in the church engaging in the work of the gospel. Far too many people still think that, that ministry happens in the church gathering by official religious figures called pastors or youth pastors or worship leaders or elders or, or executive boards or whatever they might think in terms of their tradition of church. They think that's where ministry happens, and it's simply not true. We are all called, as a part of the kingdom, to be ministers. And the truth is, is that the Holy Spirit has gifted every single person in the kingdom of God with a, a supernatural ability to do something in regard to the ministry. And we all can be and should be continuously filled, Ephesians 5 says, with the Holy Spirit pursuing those ministries. But the, the sad truth is that there are far too many people and far too many churches who resist this work of the Holy Spirit, who grieve the Holy Spirit by not being filled, by not acknowledging the giftings that he has given to people, but rather forming themselves around and disciplining themselves in the traditions of men. The second thing that this whole idea of Philippians chapter 1 gives us an insight into is that Paul didn't seem to sweat those people who had the wrong motives in ministry. He just doesn't seem to give two hoots about the guys who were, who were either trying to compete with him, in other places he would call them super apostles, guys who were trying to say that they were better than Paul in his ministry, or, or people that were doing ministry out of this selfish ambition, this idea is that they were looking for their own gain, for their own uh, uh, betterment financially is, is sort of the underlying tone there, greed. Paul just says, hey, as long as Jesus is being preached, that's all I care about. Why? Well, here's why. Because remember back in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, as we head back there, Paul says everything that's built upon the foundation of Jesus Christ on the day of judgment, it's going to be judged. It's going to be tested with fire, he says. And the things that were true, the things that were real, the things that were really Jesus stuff, that stuff's going to last. And that person who, who was faithful to those things, rewarded. He says, but the stuff that just doesn't matter, the stuff that was superfluous or that was man-oriented or was selfish or whatever, he says, that stuff's all just going to burn up. He goes, so as long as Jesus is being preached so that people could hear about Jesus, he goes, I, I really don't care what their motivation was beyond that. That's a big one for us. To not be looking at other churches and simply judging people based on what they're doing, but rather being responsible for ourselves to go, am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Am I using the time God's given me? Am I numbering my days and really being faithful to the things God has called me to? I don't get to be the judge of another man's 
ministry. And so Paul says, hey, whether it's selfish ambition or whatever whatever pretense someone is preaching the gospel, as long as Jesus is being proclaimed, that's all I care about. Everything else on top of that foundation is going to get judged, and God gets to judge it. I don't have to worry about it. Now we go on to verse 16. It says, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. This statement harkens back to Paul's encounter with the Lord in Acts chapter 18 when Paul was told to go to Corinth and to not be afraid to continue speaking the truth that he wasn't going to be harmed or, or wounded unto death because God said, I have people in that city. Paul, I need you to go and proclaim the gospel to them. And that's where this church was birthed out of. This idea that God says, if I'm telling you to go, nobody's going to harm your temple. You, the, the, the one who is the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit where God dwells in you. If anyone does destroy that temple, God says, I will destroy him. Man, again, judgment is of the Lord, as is salvation. Well, look at verse 18 here. It says, let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool, that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. The wisdom of the world is foolishness to God. You know, this is a, a final statement for us that as we consider our calling individually in our lives, doing what's right in front of us, taking joy and, and working as under the Lord in whatever we're doing, or the ministry of the church is going, man, what's the needs? What's, what's the Lord putting in front of me? The answer is yes, I'll just go pursue that. It may not make sense to people who are judging things according to the world, the empire of the world, but it's absolute wisdom in the Lord, to serve him, to sacrifice my whole life to him. And we're people that need to be seeking out godly wisdom in the issues of life. Not consulting the world and what the world's thoughts and opinions are, but making sure that we test everything that we're doing according to God's word, according to the value and the, and the, and the, and the economy, if you will, of God's kingdom. So whether it's relationships, jobs, money, hobbies, entertainment, we're to seek out godly wisdom so that we don't waste our life. The truth is, is, is that this foundation of Jesus Christ has been laid in our life. If we're believers in Jesus, if we've, if we've, we've, if we've confessed him as Lord and Savior, that's the foundation that the rest of our life is built upon. But the truth is this, we can waste our lives for Jesus rather than live our lives for Jesus. We want to be a people who don't waste our lives for Jesus. Yeah, we're saved, we're going to heaven, but we've never built upon that foundation anything that is of value, that is precious, 
that, is, that, that can stand the test of even fire. What are those things that are precious? It's quite simply Jesus himself. We build upon the foundation of Jesus, the gospel, the good news of Jesus. You know that phrase, go back to basics? That's that idea of this foundation. Anything that's of value that will stand the test of fire on the day of judgment is quite simply going to be the things that are about Jesus. The things that point people towards salvation, toward faithfulness in the Lord, that is what is of value and will stand the test of time and the judgment of the Lord. We don't want to waste our lives and build things on that foundation that just don't mean anything for eternity. Now, what that does for us is that causes there to be a separation in the example of our lives where we go, actually, the things of the world and the things that they find valuable might seem like foolishness to them, but that's not what I value. It's not what's important to me. It's not the wisdom that governs my life. And each person has to work through those things, has to seek the Lord, listen to the conviction of the Holy Spirit, make sure it matches up with what we're reading in God's word. We want to be more than saved. Salvation is the key to eternal life. But we want to be people who are found faithful in the work of building upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. There's no boasting in the flesh. All things, all people, all events, everything happening now and anything that possibly might happen in the future, unknown to us, perfectly known by the Lord. In Christ, all of those things are for our good. Because Jesus is doing exactly what God has called him to do and asked him to do. Giving his life as a sacrifice for our sins. Raising up from the dead and now residing at the right hand of the Father, preparing a place for us to be with him for eternity.